Well, good morning, True Life. How's everybody doing this morning? <laughs> All right, good. I like it. I like it. everybody's awake and ready to have church. And and uh, if you're if you're here for the first time, I hope you are able to notice that you walked into a place that loves Jesus a whole lot. We're really hungry about His Word. In fact, would you just help me? Let's welcome any first time guest who's with us today. Let them know how awesome they are. We are glad you're here. We've been in a series called Running with the Giants. Uh, we're looking at some of the giants of faith who are in the Bible, and today we get to talk about Rebecca. It's going to be great. Um, in this sense, it's okay, but I just I do want to clarify, you know, because the ladies, you're going to get some love today. We're pulling one of the ladies out of the Bible, you know what I'm saying? But guys, don't when you walk out of here, I just don't recommend any compliment for any lady using the word giant. All right, that only works for this series. All right, all right. So just don't. Don't do that. Probably won't, won't work out well for you. Uh, before I jump into the message, just a couple things that I want to remind you of. And um, <clears throat> a couple of them happened tonight uh, at 6 o'clock is our Life Track 401, uh, which is, uh, we call it Life Team 401. It's an opportunity for anybody who's in our church to come and connect with the different ministry leaders who uh, make Sundays happen, make small group happen, make all of the different ministries happen in our church. Find out a little bit more about those areas of ministry and how you can uh, become a part of those things and, and get involved. And uh, so we invite you out. Even if you haven't been through all of Life Track yet, the, the whole system is designed so that you could show up any week and then just come back the, the next month and circle back around and catch up. In fact, we have people that's taken three or four months because of work schedules and different things to get through the whole thing. So they come and they grab whatever Sunday night they can when they can. And so we would love for you to be there tonight. And, uh, and hang out. This will be your last chance if you're wanting to audition for our creative arts worship department to get to a life track session before uh, their kind of uh, intro audition night, which happens next Sunday night. All right. So you want to make sure you can you can get around and connect with uh, Kevin and Dan and and uh, some of the other leaders of that ministry. They're going to all be there um, tonight. So it's going to be good. And we we love all of the different teams, all of the different serving areas, they're all going to be there. Brian will be there. Or, no, Brian won't be there. He's away tonight, but he'll have some people there representing. Uh, everybody who does hospitality and greeting. And come on, aren't you thankful for all the people that show up on Sundays and make it a great experience? The, the, the crew who lays the stage down and connects all the cables and wires, all of them will be represented tonight in a, a kids' zone, all of them. So we'd love for you to come and hang out, get to know somebody. And, uh, and then if you already serve on our life team, you're already on one of those teams and you serve on a regular basis, we invite you to show up at 530. We do just a monthly on the fourth Sunday. We just do a little get together for a half hour with our life team. We eat some pizza and we get a chance to just hang out when there's not work to do and, and just connect with each other, share some stories of what's going on in the church. So if you're serving on a life team, uh, we'd love to see you there at 530. It's going to be fun hanging out. All right. One last thing that before I jump into the message that I want to share with you, if you look around today, you'll see it's pretty full in here um, from from where the ropes. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing to be excited about from where the ropes are down. It, it's uh, and, and like I told you a few weeks ago, that's what's going to happen. This is a, a season of growth in most churches and, and definitely for us. And we'll take a little bit of a hit with spring break and all of the college students who are sinners and go home to be with their family. Um, I'm just teasing. Uh, I'm just teasing. You should love your family. That's a good thing. Um, so, but then it'll come right back and it'll be solid all the way up till Eastern. So there's some things you can do 
to help make the experience great for people who haven't found a home church yet. And we, that, come on, that's, that's what we're about here. We want to help people connect with a life-giving church and find Jesus. And uh, so you can do some things, all right? We, we talked about these a couple weeks ago. I just want to remind you, so repeat after me, everybody say, come early. Come early. Go, all right, come on. <laughs> all right, that was pretty good, but we can do it with a little bit more enthusiasm, all right? So, so service starts at 10, so, you know, Get here at, at five tail or ten tail. Get your get your coffee so that we can help because we get a big traffic jam in the back and and people can't make it down front to worship because that you know you can't worship without coffee. That's just doesn't work. That was a joke. It's okay to laugh. Um, so so get here a couple minutes ahead of time. We'll have the coffee ready for you. So everybody come early. Come early. All right, that's it. That's it. Um, what's what's the other two? Come early. <clears throat> I've got them in my notes. No, you've got them out of order. All right. Uh, so come early, sit close. And by close, we mean to the front. So everybody say, sit close. sit close. Sit close. All right. So that means as close to the front as you can possibly feel comfortable and as close to the middle of the seats as you can possibly feel comfortable. And I know what some of you are thinking, but we have all these seats that are roped off. Why don't you just unrope them? And it's for two reasons. The first one is the best experience. And like you heard it today during worship when everybody's singing together and you can hear all the voices kind of come together and connect. It's always better when you're kind of all together in a group. It's honestly, it's more fun for me to preach when you're all up here. All right. Instead of, Hey, is anybody out there? All right. Um, it, it just creates a better experience for everyone. And we have some technical issues that our sound system, the more people there are in here, the more sound your bodies soak up. And, uh, we already push it pretty loud. Um, but as we begin to fill up and move towards the back, we're already talking about what will we do to make sure the sound projects to the back of the room? Because as there's more bodies, more sound gets soaked up, but we can help with that by getting as many people close to the front as possible. Does that make sense to everybody? All right. So we want you to have the best experience possible. So come early, sit close. And here's the last one. Everybody say park far, park far. far. All right. So here's the idea. Let's save the, let's save the best parking spaces for the people who are here for the first time. Or for the people who are here with, now if you have a big family that you're trying to get in, this does not apply to you, all right? You can park on the curb, because I know what that's like to try to get your kids in. So you just pull right up to the glass doors if you need to, all right? But but for the rest, if you're able-bodied, you're not handicapped, or don't have any challenges in that regard, then then you can help create a great experience by, for someone else um, by parking a little bit further away, saving the best spots for Others, come on, you with me on that? All right, I know, I know. Some of you are like, here's the thing, man. Like, Jesus went to the cross. We're just asking you to park farther away. All right, so how's that for guilt? All right, so now let me pull some guilt off of you. Okay, so uh, Easter only four weeks away, and and I want to encourage you in the run up to Easter. This series is going to take us all the way up to Palm Sunday. And uh, it's going to be a, a powerful Easter here. We're already working on it. We've been working on it for weeks uh, with our creative teams and our worship department. It's going to be a powerful day. We have some really cool stuff planned for you. And here's a little bit of research for you. Easter Sunday is statistically the best Sunday of the year for you to invite someone to church who doesn't have a church home yet. Your chances of getting them to say, yes, I'll go to church with you go up dramatically on Easter Sunday. So I just want to encourage all of us, let's start planting the seed now. Maybe even as I'm talking about it, maybe the Holy Spirit will just 
prompt your heart and your mind with the name of someone or a neighbor or a coworker or a family member or a friend who needs to be here and they need to experience this. So start planning. You know, you know it's okay. The Bible says to be wise as servant, serpents and harmless as doves. So it's okay to, to start planning and using some strategy to figure out how you're going to get people who need Jesus to come to church with you. And let's just use Easter Sunday, come on, as a big, fat, evangelistic day to reach people who need Jesus. Can I get some buy-in on that from you this morning, church? Are you, you with me? All right, so let's, uh, let's pack this place out. It's going to be good. Come early, sit close, park far. All right, let me read up our theme scripture uh, for this series that we've been looking at. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. <clears throat> I hear there are bets going on in some of the small groups about what I say on Sunday morning, so I'm wondering uh, how that's going so far. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And when we read that scripture, we're not... If you read it and you see it as, ooh, sin, oh, man, we're all bad people. Yeah, yeah depravity is a real deal, but that's really not what this scripture is talking about. What this scripture is actually doing is acknowledging the fact that life is hard. And, and getting through life without making some mistakes and having some issues is pretty tough to do. And, and this scripture encourages us to figure out how do we get that weight off of our lives and run the race, this life is like a race. And the idea of this series, if you haven't been here yet, is what if we could get some of the giants of our faith that are mentioned in this cloud of witnesses to come down out of that cloud, run a lap for it with us in the race of life? What would they say? How would they encourage us? What would they tell us that might help us gain some perspective and finish the race? How many want to finish the race? If you, you want to raise your hand here. This is a good one. All right. How many want to finish the race? Yeah. Okay. All of us. We want to finish this. Some of you are like, no, I, actually I'm done checking out later today. All right. So that's the big idea of the series. And today we get to look at the life of Rebecca. And I know the ladies loving it. We get to pull one of the ladies out of the Bible. Come on, everybody. And uh, so a little, little background on how Rebecca shows up in our Bibles and our stories. We, we talked actually about Abraham a couple weeks ago and God's big promise to him was that Abraham would be the father of many, many people, many, many generations. In fact, he said, Abraham, look up in the, star, in the sky. Can you count all the stars if you can? Of course he couldn't. He said, your descendants will outnumber all of the stars in the sky. Your descendants will outnumber all of the sand on the beach. And, uh, and so Abraham is getting a little bit older in life. He's got one son, Isaac, who was a miracle, and he knows that the fulfillment of that promise is tied to his son. Like his son needs to have some babies and he can't do that alone, I hope. <clears throat> and so Abraham says to, says to his, his most trusted servant, that's, somebody's really had a hard time with that. He says to his most trusted servant, hey, I need you, to, I'm going to send you out. I want you to go find, and this was typical in that time and culture for the parents to pick the, the bride and the groom. And the, so the marriages were prearranged, which... By the way, I have a daughter. I'm all for bringing it back, if you know what I'm saying. I will pick your husband, girl. I'm for bringing it back. So he sends out his, he sends out his best servant, his most trusted servant, with a whole bunch of camels and jewelry and gifts. He says, I need you to go find 
uh, a wife for my son Isaac. And that's where Rebecca comes onto the scene. And, and what we're, what we're going to look at today is what I think Rebecca would say to us. But I also think that it's what really all of the giants of faith might say to us. Um, in fact, I've, I've got some things, some statistics I wrote down here. At least, and I'm being conservative, at least 15% of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, deal with the topic that we're going to talk about today. Half, at least half of all of the parables Jesus told are on this topic. And if we were to follow the frequency that this topic is mentioned with in Scripture, if I were to preach on it as often as it's mentioned in the Bible, I really should preach on this topic about once every five weeks. It should be about one-fifth of what we talk about. Of course, we don't necessarily do that. But if we wanted to talk about topics with the same frequency they're mentioned in Scripture, you would hear this from me about once every five weeks. In fact, this, this topic is mentioned twice as often in Scripture as heaven and hell are. You say, what is it? Here it is. Here's what I, the, the big line that I think Rebecca would say to us if she could be here and give us one line of how to live our lives today. And it's in your notes if you'll fill it in with me. It says, for a world that's full of need, give generously to others. Give generously to others. Now, I know where some of your minds are going already. This is a money, money talk. This is tithing. This is where he's going. This is not where I'm going. This is not a tithing talk. This is not a money talk. I'm talking about having a heart and a spirit of generosity in all areas of our lives. By the way, tithing is not even necessarily giving by a biblical standard. Tithing is just being obedient and returning to God what's already his. Giving and being generous is what we do above and beyond that. And everybody said, (laughs) some of you are faking. You're like, man, man. (laughs) So so I just have this, this thing in me. That God has done, and and I want to spread it to as many people as possible. In fact, we had a trustee meeting yesterday for our church. We have some outstanding trustees in our church. Um, Jeff Brownlee, uh, yeah, give Jeff some love. Lynn Vigiano is usually over in that sector over there. Uh, Jonathan Moritz, I think, is usually over there. So you here, Jonathan? I saw you earlier. I know you're here. You're being shy. Uh, David Austin, who was up here playing drums this morning. And, uh, and you know, what was really cool is we sat down yesterday for a meeting that we have to do at least once a year to approve our budget and different things. And so we put a spreadsheet out in front of everybody and showed them where money is going to go, uh, over the next year. And you know, what really spoke to my heart is all of these guys equally immediately noticed one thing and were equally excited about it. And that was how much money we're giving to church planting. And how much money we've we've allocated towards missions and is going to be given away by our church. And and honestly, I look at it and I think it's not enough. I wish it was more. Uh, I wish it was a bigger percentage of what we could do. And and so I just believe we should give away as much as we possibly can. Come on, somebody. We we really should. We should give away as much as we possibly can. And I think that would be Rebecca's message to us. I'm going to show you why. We should be generous. Give, as, give away as much as you can. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about time. I'm talking about energy. I'm talking about your talents, your skills, our abilities. All of it. Let's, we should be generous. Because let's be honest, some of us are sitting here today and you're going, man, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of that kind of resource that I can give away. I don't make a lot of money. But you do have a gift for making people feel special or encouraging people. And 
So you could be generous with those other things in your life. It doesn't have to be material. So remember, Abraham's promise is to be father of many descendants. In that culture, he's going to pick out Isaac's wife, sends his most trusted servant, and he sends him with 10 camels, a whole bunch of gifts, a whole bunch of jewelry, which, by the way, at that time period, showing up with 10 camels would have been an immense sign of wealth. All right, so when this servant shows up in town with all these camels and his, his entourage, immediately people would have known this guy is attached to someone with immense wealth. And his servant, I mean, just, just think about this. His servant knows the promise. All right, <laughs> Abraham's supposed to be the father of many nations. His descendants are supposed to be uh, a number so big that they can't be counted. And it all rests on Isaac. And he asked me to go find the mom. No pressure. No, no pressure. I mean, and this guy didn't even know this is, this ends up being Jesus' great, but 37 generations, great-grandmother. So kind of a high-pressure situation. And I love what his servant does. What's what any of us should do in a high-pressure situation. He prays. (laughs) He goes to God and says, help. I don't want to mess this up. And he prays a prayer that, by the way, I don't recommend for you. Um, because this is what happens in the Old Testament is what we call a fleece. And it was where someone would go to God and say, okay, God, uh, if it's you, make all of these signs line up and fall into place like puzzle pieces. And, and then I'll know that that's the right one. And that was common in the Old Testament. I'm not saying it's sin to pray that way now, but we don't really have to. We get to be in communication with the Holy Spirit all the time. So instead of asking for signs, we can just ask God to speak to us in our heart and lead us in the right direction. Aren't you glad Jesus made it a little bit easier for you? All right, so look at this. Here's his prayer. Genesis chapter 24, verse 12. Oh, oh Lord, God of my master, Abraham, he prayed. Please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master, Abraham. See, I'm standing here beside this spring. And the young woman of the, women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I'll ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says yes, look how specific this is. If she says yes, have a drink and I'll water your camels too. So he's actually, he's making generosity one of the conditions. Let her be the one you've selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I'll know that you've shown unfailing love to my master. Now check this, this is how God worked sometimes in the Old Testament. Before he had finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's brother Nahor, and his wife Milcah. What a weird name. Baby Milcah. I mean, what, who would do that to your child? Don't do that. I'm, I'm teasing. That was totally normal, normal in this time and culture. All right. So I'm not going to read you the whole scripture. Long story short. He asks Rebecca, can I have a drink? And Rebecca says, yeah, you can have a drink. And I'm going to water your camels too. You say, what does that have to do with generosity? Because there's a lot of significance to the fact that Rebecca not only answered, yes, I'll give you a drink, but I'll also water your camels too. And I want you to see it. We're going to throw it up on the screen here. This is probably a between a two and five gallon jug that Rebecca is carrying out to the well to get water. And, and in this time, in this culture, um, don't not yet, not yet, not yet. Go back. All right. In this time, in this culture, 
a couple times a day, the women of the, of the city would come out to the well, which was the water source. This is an arid, dry climate. So once in the morning and then usually once again in the afternoon, get enough water to do everything they need to do in the house. And so for her to say, in addition to my responsibilities, I'm also going to water all your camels, it's significant. Here's why. Here, check this out. Okay, go ahead, Todd. All right, so 10 camels. Now, this is conservative. Would have drank a minimum of about 20 gallons of water each. I'm not a math major, but I did have a calculator while I was doing my notes. That's 200 gallons. 200 gallons of water drawn with a five-gallon jar. We're just assuming she's got the largest of the variety of jars that they would have used in this time period. Is, is at least 40 trips from the camels to the well. 40 trips. Let's just say she was able to get it done at three minutes each trip. Rebecca spent at least, and this is pretty conservative. Some, some scholars and people who study the Bible think she might have spent the whole day doing this. So we're going to be conservative. We're going to say that at the very least, Rebecca spends two hours watering the camels, the smelly camels of a complete stranger at the well. And I think Rebecca, if she could say anything to us today, she would say, give generously. Let generosity come out of you. Let it be a part of who you are because she modeled that for us. And I just want to contrast that with the attitude of our generation and our culture today which tends to be, instead of what's the most I could do to serve you, what's the least I could do and have it be satisfactory? I mean, really, that's, that's where a lot of us are. If we're really honest, what's the least? I, and I'm all for being efficient and finding the best and easiest way to do things. But, you know, what God really wants in our heart, you know, G- Jesus said, if somebody asks for, for your shirt, give them the shirt and your jacket too. Go give them... Give them more than what they asked for. He taught us that idea. Don't just do what you're asked. Do more. And I think in our current culture, and especially here in the United States, and in our generation, that we've lost touch with this way of doing life. And the result of Rebecca's generosity with that servant is that he ends up proposing this idea to her, hey, would you, would you consider coming back and meeting Isaac and becoming his wife? She has no idea how, how much this is going to change her life. In fact, to, to come from that time period and to be mentioned in Scripture is one of the highest honors that there could ever be. She gets mentioned in the Bible, and on top of that, she becomes a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, helps fulfill prophecies. Powerful choice that she made to say, yes, I'll give you some water, and I'm going to spend several hours watering the camels as well. The result of Rebecca's generosity is, is pretty incredible. You have no idea how short your life is and how much the stuff you accumulate, the stuff you and I are accumulating, we have no idea how much that stuff could make a difference in the life of others while we're here. It can make a difference in the life of others while we're here. So I want to look at, at four things that I think Rebecca would say to encourage us to be generous people. just I've got a little bit of a frog in my throat, so just bear with me this morning. If I have to cough or anything, I apologize in advance. All right, um, here's the first one. I think Rebecca would say, you can't be generous and legalistic at the same time. You cannot be generous and legalistic at the same time. 
Uh, You could even substitute that word legalistic with religious. You can't be generous and religious at the same time. So what does that mean? It means you can't count. You can't keep score. When we give, if we give with the expectation that giving gets us something in return, can I tell you that is not the motive that God wants us to have in our hearts. That's not what he wants for us. In fact, there is an entire set of theological principles that are just completely counter to what's in the Bible that that teach this whole health and wealth, prosperity. You you give and we, we treat God like a gumball machine. You drop a quarter in and you turn the knob and out pops a new car. And that's that's not how it works, guys. That's not what God wants for us. In fact, it's the opposite. What God wants to do is bless us so that we can use that blessing to be a blessing to someone else. And when he sees that he can trust us to be a blessing to someone else, it opens up the door for him to bless us some more. Come on, somebody. This is good preaching. I don't care if you like it or not. It really is. You're blessed so that you can be a blessing. That's why God pours out blessing on his people. And so I, I, just, I hope that you'll think about this. I can't keep track. I can't keep score and be generous at the same time. I hope that you'll be a person that just looks for every opportunity to bless someone else with the stuff you have. You can't give to get something out of it. God wants to bless you, but he wants to put it in your heart to be someone who willingly, everybody say willingly. Now you got to say it like you're not getting preached at. Say willingly. Willingly. All right. He wants you to be someone who willingly gives, willingly gives to people in need. Second Corinthians nine, seven, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Don't don't give because some slick guy on TV told you, was able to convince you that his TV ministry was the best place to invest your dollar and he'd send you his special hanky that he prayed over in the mail. And I mean, yeah, that happens. It happens. That's what the, that's what he's saying here. Don't, don't be conned into giving because of pressure or compulsion or emotion, but give because the God of the universe has just put something in your heart that makes you want to give away as much as you can. Give away as much as you can. Our attitude towards or giving should not be one. And, and even tithing, even though tithing is returning, What's already God's to him. You know, I, I meet too many people who have this idea of like, I guess I better do it or, or I'll be cursed. I'm like, really? You're going to give to God with that attitude. Well, I just don't want to be cursed. I don't want Jesus mad at me. Hey, can I, can I just... I don't want to get into all the theology of this here. We don't have time. But the whole world's already under a curse. Jesus came to break the curse off of you. And he wants to have you to have a generous spirit in you so that he can use you to break the curse off of other people. We don't, Jesus, he's not going to, Jesus doesn't curse you. 
He doesn't curse your money. Your money's already cursed because it belongs to this world. What he wants to do is take the stuff that's cursed and belongs to this world and redeem it and use it to do something eternal with it. I'm telling you, it's good preaching. That attitude is just not biblical, man. He doesn't curse you. So at the end of the service today, like we do every week, we'll give you an opportunity to give, not to me, not to the church, but to God. I, I shared this last week that we're, our job is to be brokers. You're giving to God. And, and God has given us as a church the responsibility to be good stewards with what you give here and get you the best eternal return on your investment that we possibly can. But I just want to say this to you. If you feel obligated to give, don't put anything in the bucket. I don't want it. I don't want it. But if you feel compelled by the Holy Spirit to be generous, empty the wallet, baby. Seriously, because you can't outgive God. You cannot give more than he'll be able to bless you with. You cannot do it. I mean, don't empty your wallet like if you have bills to pay and stuff. Don't. Don't do that. Somebody's like, he told me to. Now I'm bankrupt. No, don't. Don't do that. I don't know who has these voices. All right, here's the second one. Second. This is how I have conversations with myself. You're an idiot, Smith. All right, here's the second one. I think Rebecca would say to us, you can't walk the second mile until you've walked the first. You can't walk the second mile until you've walked. Watering the camels wasn't an option until she agreed to give him a drink. Right? First she had to say, yeah, I'll give you a drink and I'll take care of the camels. We all like to, we like cute little sayings like that. Go the extra mile. But the truth is, in our culture, we don't even take like 10 steps. And I'm not talking about exercise. I'm talking about when we have an opportunity to do things for people, we look for the path of least resistance. Our culture says, have it now, buy it now, get it now. We say things like, well, I'd give like that person gives if I had what they had. And, but the Bible says, no, you wouldn't. Jesus himself says, no, you wouldn't. And that's why you don't have what he had. Check it out. Luke 16, 10. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? So there's some questions we need to ask ourselves here. How do we... How are we handling our time? How are we handling our attitude? So I don't, we're, again, I don't have a lot of money to give away. Give it. Like you knew somebody was discouraged and you could have given them a hug. You can be generous with a hug. All the single fellows are like, I'll be generous. Stop it. You can't you can be you can be generous with a hug. You can be generous with a text message. You can be generous with a phone call. Hey, I'm I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. I care about you. Rebecca didn't want to wait to see why this guy was there before she started giving. You know, when you read the story, what happens is when he decides, "Hey, this is the lady." 
he, the Bible says he sits and watches her for a long. It actually says he gazes, which is kind of creepy because it's for Isaac. She was, the Bible says she was a beautiful woman, and he gazed at her while she watered the camels. I'm like, all right, dude, load her up, get back home. But he finally, he goes, it says he pulls out all of this jewelry and starts to, he actually, by the way, those religious people who hate nose rings, Rebecca wore a nose ring, so I'm just saying. <clears throat> that's, what, that's what he did. He pulls out a nose ring for her, big one. It was, It would have been a big nose ring back in that time. It would have hung like out in a big circle like this. I have pictures of it in my study software notes. I was like, look at that. That's what I did. I'm sitting there studying. I'm like, wow. So he starts, you know, you know, some of us in our culture, we'd wait until we saw the jewelry coming out of the bags. We'd be like, oh, I'll water your camels. Sure. I got that. No, Rebecca doesn't have any idea why he's there, who he is. And she chooses to be generous. She chooses to serve. Here's the third one she would say. She might say, you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Growing up, I used to always hear preachers use this line. Some of you probably heard it, that I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearst. At lunch today, some of you will be like, oh, I get it. Never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. The stuff you accumulate when you die, it's not going with you. It's going to become someone else's stuff. I hear it right now. Oh. It's like the, the story of this, uh, this old wealthy guy. He told his wife, he said, Honey, when I die, I, I want all my money. I want to take it with me. I want you to put it in the casket with me. I don't want to leave it here. I want to take it with me. Kind of greedy. Sure enough, he passed away, and they were at the funeral, and his wife was sitting there on the on the front row, and the ceremony had, had, had finished up, and they were just about to close the lid on the casket and head out to the gravesite, and she said, hold, hold on one second. She got up with a box and she walked up and she set the box on his chest and she patted him, walked back and sat down. And one of her friends sitting next to her, she said, I, that, that's, that's incredible that you're honoring his request. Did you really do that? Did you, did you really give him all of that money? Put it in there with him? She said, yeah, I wrote him a check. <laughs> that's another one at lunch. Some of you be like, oh, he can't, can't cash it because he's dead. Okay, I get it. A lot, of, a lot of you are in college, right? <laughs> All right. It's a book, little book suggestion for you here. Write this down. There's a book called The Treasure Principle, older book. You might have to go find a reprinted or used copy of it. Great book. It's based on Matthew chapter 6, 19 and 20. And I want to show you something here. It says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths and eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven. In other words, the safest investment you have is the eternal investment. The stock market's going to go crazy. The housing market's going to go crazy. Employment's going to go up and down. But every investment you make in eternity is going to last forever. It's the safest investment you can make. Store it in heaven. 
where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Here's the fourth thing Rebecca would say to us. I think she would say good feelings come after good choices. Good feelings come after good choices. This is a, the first time I heard this said to me, I was probably 13, 14 years old. My youth pastor said this to me and it just stayed with me forever. Because I, I just, I, I see it still today. Christians say things like, well, I just don't really feel led to do that. I don't feel led to serve. I won't say what I want to say. Because it just frustrates me that we would let emotion and impulse keep us from doing what God's will for us clearly is. I don't, I don't feel led. Here, here's the problem with that. Raise your hand if you've ever been tempted to do something wrong. Anybody ever been tempted? Okay, all of us, yeah. Do you know what's happening when temptation is happening? Here, here's what's actually happening. Your feelings and your emotions are lying to you. They're lying to you. That's why the Bible says that the heart is deceitful above everything else. Who can possibly know it? And it's the same thing with doing the things that would bring us into alignment with who God wants us to be. We, sh- we, can't, we can't always wait for the feeling. We can't always wait for the emotion. We can't always wait to feel led. To, I, don't, I can't think of a single... I have a one-year-old, Benjamin. He's back there in the nursery right now. And I'm, just, I'm thinking back through the last year. I can't think of a single time that I felt the Holy Spirit just cover me and say, Go change a diaper. I'm going to change a diaper today. Hallelujah. No. I have never felt led. I feel led to ask my wife to change a diaper. All the dads. (laughs) Yeah. I don't. My kids, I love them, but I don't always feel led to feed them. To go into the kitchen and make a meal for them. But that doesn't mean I don't do it. Because good feelings follow good choices. Now I can look at my kids and go, look at them. They're healthy and they don't smell like doo-doo. That feels good. Why? Because I made a good choice. And as, as funny as that is and as simple as that principle is, we don't apply that simple principle to many of the things, in our, many of the opportunities we have to serve or to be generous or to give away. We go, yeah, I just I'm not really feeling it. So what? Don't wait for the feeling. Good feelings follow good choices. Look at Matthew 6.21. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now, we mispreach this scripture all the time. And we say, we actually misquote it all the time. We'll say, well, you know, if your heart's there, your treasure will be there too. No, that's not the order Jesus said it in. He said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Write this down. It's not in your notes, but you need this quote. Money leads, heart follows. Money leads, heart follows. So, so sometimes we're waiting for the feeling to be generous. And can I just tell you, it's probably never going to come. 
But if you'll just take a risk and be generous with someone, give away some time, give away some energy, make an investment in someone, make an investment in the house of God today if you want to, when the, when the buckets go by. Not because of what I said, but because the Holy Spirit's doing something on, on the inside of you. And just, just wait and see if God brings the feeling after the choice. Because He always does. He always does. Money leads, heart follows. As a church, we have a giving covenant that will always give away as much as we can. I would encourage you, build it into the culture of your home to give away as much as you can. We, we've been doing this with our my daughter. She's six years old. And we've just been talking about, hey, you have lots of grandparents. You get lots of gifts. You're always going to have more junk than you can play with. And we're not going to be people who hoard it all. So why don't we start thinking? I was really proud of her a couple weeks ago. She's like, you know what? Every time my friend Sydney comes over, she loves this toy. I don't need it. I'm going to give it away. And so last week, she was all excited to come to church and give away a toy. By, by the way, it, Sydney's oh, got plenty of, her parents were probably like, oh, great, more stuff. But you can re-gift it. That's fine. <laughs> so it, it, sometimes we think, well, do I, do I just give to people who are poor or destitute or broken? No, you can, you can be generous with anybody. Just, it's fun. It's, it's fun to give stuff away. That's why we do those little acts of kindness cards where you can roll through a drive through and pay for the person behind you and leave a card. Did you guys, it's, it's fun. It's really fun. Pull up just enough that you can watch the reaction in your rear mirror and then peel out and run away. It's fun. It's fun. Some parting words from Rebecca. Let's remember these things. Three things. Number one, here's the first one. It's in your notes. Even small acts of generosity make a difference. Small acts of generosity make a difference. Matthew 10, 42. And if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you'll surely be rewarded. In the Greek, you know what Jesus actually, the, the literal translation of this scripture is in the Greek. Jesus says, if you give a cup of cold water to someone in need, when you get to heaven, I'll pay you back. That is the literal translation. When you get to heaven, I got you. I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back when you get there. What if we did, what if we just made a, a covenant in our hearts to do something every single day of our lives that makes Jesus say, hey, when you get here, I'll pay you back. I pay, I'll pay you back. Do something every day to bless someone. You know, you know who gets this? Who gets this principle? This is our life team. They get it. Why, why do people show up at 7 o'clock and set up a church? Not for the entertainment value, although it, it can be entertaining sometimes. But that's not why they're here. They're here because they understand that being generous with their time and their energy and their skills and their talents is making an investment in the kingdom. And at the end of the service today, there's a pretty good chance someone's going to raise their hand and begin a relationship with Jesus. And it's all worth it for just one. I would say it's all worth it if just somebody moves a little bit closer to making that decision next week or the next week or the next week. They get it. They get the idea of being generous. Here's the next one. The impact of your generosity will outlive you it will outlive you the only reason true life church is here guys is because 
decades ago, there were people praying over Newark. Long time before I even knew this place was on the map, there were people asking God for revival here, to send churches here, to reach lost people here. People have been praying for this campus that we're next to. People have been praying for young families and every demographic that's represented in our city. People have been praying and asking God to show up and do something special here. We didn't do that. We didn't sow all of that. We got to show up just like John 4.28 says, I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work and now you'll get to gather the harvest. That's what we get to do. I'm not saying we're not sowing anything. But we're, we're reaping hard. I remember sitting down with Mark Johnston over at the journey who told me their, their story of, of their church. You know, we're, we're creeping up on a couple hundred people coming to True Life Church. And um, he told me when I first came, I told him that was one of our first goals, that for a church to be self-sustaining and healthy and know that it can stick around, it really needs to get to that 200 number. And he said, yeah, it took us five years to even come close to that. I was like, oh. I don't want to do that. <laughs> and guess, guess we're, we're not. We just celebrated our second anniversary at, a, at nearly 150 people. Why? Because not because we're great. It's because somebody else sowed. We're just reaping. We're just. Re- I, I remember sitting with Steve Harville after we got this this room flooded out a few weeks ago, and we had to move to another room, and it was a little bit of headache for our crew and our team, but. I called Steve and I was like, yeah, he had seen it on my social media that we moved. And he was like, so you got flooded out, huh? He's like, yeah. He's like, I remember when our building flooded and we couldn't have church for six weeks. And we only had 15 people. I didn't know how I was going to pay the bills. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Flooded anytime you want. We'll go to the other side of the building. I don't care. But those guys were here and they've sowed and they've a heart and a passion for Delaware, we just get to show up and reap. Here's the last one. When you give, you give to the Lord. You give to the Lord. You don't give to me. You don't give to the church. You don't give to the person you're helping when you help someone. There's a huge step in the maturity process that you can take today. If you'll determine in your heart and your mind that every time you're generous, whether it's through the church or through another missions organization, or you see somebody begging on the street corner and you feel compelled to help them. Every dime that you give away, you're giving it to God. Because when you get there, you also understand that it was never yours to begin with. All of it was His. Every penny, every material possession you and I have. We only have it because God allowed it to come into our possession. It's all his. The whole earth and everything in it belongs to him. Matthew 25, 40. And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. There is an evangelist uh, by the name of Steve Hill. I don't know if any of you know who he is. He was responsible for... uh, Brownsville Revival many years ago, which a lot of people have different feelings about that, myself included. But one thing that can't be denied about Steve Hill, he he died after a long battle with cancer. 
But this guy traveled the world preaching the gospel. And his heart just raced to see people give their hearts to Jesus. Finally, lost the battle with cancer, went on to be with Jesus. And I watched in amazement as some of the people who I'm connected to were tweeting and Facebooking and talking about his going home service, which was held in a very large church. And the lines out the door wrapping around the block. And they couldn't get everybody in. And it was all people whose lives had been changed and impacted because this guy gave up everything to just go try to win people to Jesus. And he gave it all to God. Everything he had. And I couldn't help but think, like, I don't want to be Steve Hill. I, I, I want to be me, but if this were it, if this were my last day on planet Earth, have I given it all away? Have I done everything I can to impact people on this planet with generosity, with the love of Christ? Because I, I want, listen, it's not because I have to. This isn't a works thing. This isn't like, this will make me please God. Woo. No, God's already pleased with me because His Son is in me. But He's changed my heart to the point where I want to be like Him as much as I possibly can. And I want to give away everything I possibly can. I want to give it away. Be generous with our lives. Come on, don't you want to be that kind of church? Come on, isn't that who you want to be? Can we be known as that? Come on, I need your buy-in here. We're not going to make it very far. Can we be that group of people? But they say, man, every time I'm around those people, they're giving something away. They're gifting something. They're helping someone. That's the kind of church we've got to be. That's the kind of church we've got to be. Would you close your eyes? You know, God modeled this idea of generosity for us. We see it in the most famous scripture on planet Earth, in the Bible. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave a son. Why? So that you and I could walk into relationship with him. So that you and I could be forgiven of sins. So that you and I could be redeemed and reborn. And you may be sitting in this room today and you've not made that decision. You've not made that step. You've never had that moment. Where you've said, hey, hey, Jesus, I, I receive that free gift of salvation. Please forgive me my sins. Come into my heart. I want to be in relationship with you. And if that's you, you find yourself in that place today, and maybe the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, tugging at your heart, saying, today's the day. Let's, let's become friends today. Let's start a relationship today. And you're ready to respond. I want to say a simple prayer with you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you.